0: Welcome, everyone, to the weekly spotlight from Diversity in Apps. My name is Kabir Seth. It's a beautiful day in New York. I hope it's a beautiful day wherever you are listening. For those of you who are actually tuning in for the first time, Diversity in Apps is a grassroots organization. We're made up of researchers, producers, parents, teachers, teachers, And our mission is to raise awareness and engage in research about the need for inclusive, equitable, and diverse children's media. So this podcast is actually one of the ways we do that. So every week we send out a digital newsletter that highlights uh, a bunch of pieces that we found, articles that we found relating to diversity and inclusion. Um, I usually pick two or three of them to discuss on this program. And then hopefully that entices you to go read the whole thing as well as share with like-minded folks. Um, As well as doing that, this podcast also welcomes people from the children's industry on to discuss their work. So producers, researchers, everyone's welcome. And this week, I was lucky enough to speak with Julie Kerwin. She's the CEO of I Am Elemental. Um, If you haven't heard of them, this is an amazing company. It's focused on creating female action figures. Um, that f- that bring about a positive representation um, built on really universal themes like courage and justice so that conversation is coming up a little bit later um, before I jump to the articles I also wanted to mention that we diversity naps is looking for a summer intern um, to help refresh our website so if you have website creation experience or you know someone who does please email Diversity in apps at gmail.com with the subject website help. It's diversity in apps at gmail.com. All right, let's get to the articles. The first piece I want to talk about today actually goes across two articles one is in Vox and then one was in the Guardian. They're talking about the same topic, and that topic was the decision by a video game developer to randomize the gender and race of the character uh, you play, and then just make it permanent. So basically, it's not changeable. Um, the Guardian piece is by the actual developer, Gary Newman, and then the Vox piece adds a little bit more color to it. I'll put it in um, in the show notes so you guys can see the link to the Vox piece, the Guardian piece is in the newsletter. Um, I think I like this one so much because it just makes the things we talk about um, all the time at D- Diversity and Apps so clear, um, this example. So, um, so the game that, that they're talking about that, that uh, Newman created is, is called Rust. It's basically a survival game. Um, you play as someone who needs to find food and shelter, basically everything you need to survive. It's multiplayer, so um, meaning you know other players interact with you as as you're um, going through the game, and so you make decisions about working together or raiding other people's stuff to try to survive whatever you're trying to do to achieve your goal. Um, it's it's pretty popular. It's been downloaded over three and a half million times. And it's in what's called active development. So things are always changing with the game. Um, So it's always being updated. And so they made this update. So instead of defaulting to when the game starts, you're this, like, bald, naked, white guy in the game, the character is randomized for for both race and gender. And like I said, you you couldn't change it. So um, some people got really upset. They got... um, you know specifically about race and the, or specifically about gender or both, and um, he mentions in the article he sort of breaks down where he was getting the most complaints about race, um, which you should you should read through, and then gender was like across the the world, and he got one. art and this this comment I think just sums up the whole thing. It's from an it's an email he got from a male gamer, where the male gamer wrote. I just want to play the game and have a connection to the character like most other games I play. So he's complaining about the fact that he had to play as a woman. I mean, and that's the whole thing, like like most other games he plays. He wants to have a connection like most other games he plays. And the thing that, I mean, like, it, it's right in front of you, right? Like, if, when this game was started, when Russ was created, you defaulted to a white guy, was there anyone complaining? Can you imagine what the eye rolling would have been if someone complained that,, um, why do we default to this um bald white guy? Like I mean, it just wouldn't have had the same effect. And here's this male gamer emailing in and saying, "I want to have a connection to the character." And minorities and females who play video games, how many, you know, Newman even talks about this. if you want a triple A AAA game, how many uh, games can you think of that have the main character, main protagonist, as someone other than a white male? Um, it's a great piece. Newman sort of talks about it was a cost decision that they made. And also, he doesn't feel like it has anything to do with the gameplay. Um, race and gender don't impact how the game is played. It doesn't impact um, the outcome of the game or how you achieve your goal. So um, it's really well done. I think the Vox piece, like I said, also adds sort of a little bit more specific um, examples and and, um, talks about just generally uh, gaming in general, specifically GamerGate, where this, um, this question came up and what the outcome was from that. So it just fit things very well into context. And I think you couldn't have really made up a better email, this idea of having a connection. We talk about that all the time that when kids see themselves in media, when they see themselves when they're reading a book, when they see themselves when they're watching a movie or playing a video game, and they see themselves, they can imagine themselves. And, I mean, that's that's the whole thing right there. And so, um, I, I, just, I just really love this piece. I, I don't think I've ever smiled this much when I've been talking about a piece like this. So, um, definitely check it out. All right, season six of Game of Thrones premieres today which I'm sure many of you who are fans of the books know, and that's actually the reason that this next piece caught my eye. It's called Westeros Has a Race Problem, and it's by Carolyn Sied. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, So the show, uh, many of the complaints about the lack of diversity in this show has been met with a response that the show is really talking about the British Isles. It's sort of like a... um, a fantasy book show that is really talking about a fantasized version of the British Isles and you know what there aren't a lot of Asians or other minorities in New Yorkshire England so that's how it goes um, so it's, it, it's basically if you take a show like the Tudors for instance you know the arguments the same um, there isn't anything you can do and so what the author tries to point out is that you know th- there are a few um, you know, just simply saying that isn't 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 really um, an, a logical argument. And she talks about a few plot things. Obviously, the biggest one being this entire world is built around magic. There's magic in the form of dragons, White Walkers, etc. And, you know, just the geography generally of Westeros is three and a half, four times bigger than... The British Isles, and she goes through some smaller nitpicks, which she says, um, you know, are smaller nitpicks. Just simply that the medieval age in in Westeros is much longer than uh, the medieval age that you know happened here, and the longer winter season just really doesn't make sense in the sense of you know how does farming happen then, and how do they manage that? It's never really discussed, and really what she's trying to say is that like those big elements like farming sort of how the catholic church is depicted or what is supposed to represent the catholic church he's changed those things and we don't care about that he's changed those things because those things aren't important in our in the 21st century and this show without question is about you know it's a contemporary show for a contemporary audience and race still plays a huge role in our society. So, if we were to take this so-called historical, fictional piece and suddenly inject diversity into it, that would be jarring for viewers. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. And that also doesn't mean that, um, you know, it, it it doesn't mean that you should then make the argument that for some reason it's it's, it's not allowed. So. Um, if you watch the show and, and you really should, it's a, it's a great show. You should take a look at this piece. Um, enjoy the show, but take a look at this and and recognize the possibilities that um, of really what it could it could be um, if if it chose if it chose to be. Okay, we're gonna jump to our conversation with Julie in a minute, but I just wanted to apologize for the little bit of echo in the interview. Um, when you're doing an interview over Skype, there's always a risk um, for something like this, but you don't really realize it till after you're done recording. Um, it's hard to pick up that echo. Um, and the other piece is that after Julie and I wrapped, we actually continued our conversation a little bit, and I added a small bit of that at the end, so you guys will hear that actually after we're wrapping, um, we continue it. So take a listen to that. Thanks. All right, guys, on the, on the weekly spotlight, we love having people from the kids' industry focused on this issue, and today I'm really excited to talk with Julie Kerwin, who's the CEO of I Am Elemental. And I Am Elemental was created to present a more positive representation of female heroes in action figure form for young girls and boys. Julie, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So you guys launched back in 2014 as part of a a huge Kickstarter campaign, but before we get to um, the success of that, how did you guys come up, how did you come up with this idea?
1: Yeah, so it was... started with the conversation and this you have to remember you know we're going back to October of 2012 yeah okay. so you know we were in development for almost 2 years before we launched on wow. Kickstarter and okay. there was um really nothing out there. And so the conversation began and the question was why does Spider-Man appeal to a boy of 4 and a man of 40 but <laughs> there was really no female equivalent right um right. at the time. And so you know take yourself back to 2012. Yeah. And so um I was actually doing a lot of research or not research research for pleasure on um, kind of developmental psychology and children's development. Uh, Angela Duckworth had just come out with her pioneering study out of University of Pennsylvania that kind of had come to the conclusion that grit and persistence and perseverance was often more important uh, okay. than even you know intellect to success. Right. I had just read a book by Paul Tuff that was analyzing her research and the research of others. I had gone to a lecture by a brain expert Named uh, Joanne Deek, who had also kind of got a lot of things stirring in my head, and so the 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 mythology around I am elemental, but it's really true, is that I went to bed one night thinking about this question and Mm -hmm. talking about it with my husband. And I woke up the next morning and I said, I have the answer. It's not superheroes, it's superpowers. Yeah. And I took the periodic table of elements and I wiped it clean and I started writing in character traits like grit, uh, creativity, wisdom, courage, bravery, all sorts of things. Right. And uh, when my husband came home from work that night, we bought like 30 domain names. um, And so, you know, kind of. The I am Elemental.com was right. one of them. And right. so that is how um, the concept came to exist. And it's really interesting for me whenever I have to, you know, kind of share this story because uh, even though we were in development for a long time in terms of the creating the figures and, and preparing for the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. when I think think back and I review all my old notes, so much of what came to be was literally created in that very first week. There were so many elements of what we wanted. um, I Am Elemental to represent what the mission was and um, symbolically how we were going to use these figures as the personification of power yeah. it was all there right from
0: the very beginning <laughs> it's, it's so, almost like you um, you had sort of you had read all this stuff and sort of um, it had synthesized in this sort of one moment um, it sounds like and, and Um, It really sort of everything came together in that one Totally. It's
1: really, really really true. I was also – it's funny. I was also – there were a couple – I mean, it's all these ingredients. I do. I say it was like a stew that just kind of um, really all came together at that one time because I was also obsessing over – um the the british bbc series seven up i don't know if you're familiar (laughs) with it i'm
0: not okay and it
1: started decades ago and it was this director he went on to direct um oscar films oscar nominated films but um, michael aped was a young man and they did this started this documentary where they took a cross-section of seven-year-olds around the uk and they they called it seven up and they chose seven-year-olds because they said give me a child of seven and i'll show you the man which is a I a uh, um uh, some sort of um saying right. I forget who says it, but it it always fascinated me because what ended up happening is this one little documentary about seven year olds living you know uh in around the u k from various um, backgrounds um, and financially back uh-huh. financial backgrounds they ended up it became wildly popular and they started following these kids every seven years oh
0: wow and this
1: so is- it's real. Is it, it's, is it still on? Yes. Oh,
0: cool. And so,
1: right around the time of I Am Elementals creation, I had just watched Forty Nine Up. Oh. And so what they do is they revisit and they visit the people and the original people, and then they show you old footage. Wow. And I had called my husband in while I was watching it, and I said, "You have to see this." And he said, "What's what? What what's going on?" And I said, "These people are exactly who they were when they were seven. <laughs> and it was really a remarkable thing That's crazy. to see and so that tube was built into this this concept, because this idea of you want to hit them early and you want yeah. to still these ideas in them while they're young, uh, when their core is forming, right, right. also inform. So there were so many other things. The books I was reading to my son yeah. had were play- came into play here. So everything, you're right. It was like this this stew that kind of joined all together in right. one moment. It was I
0: kind pretty- I kind of want to go back now and watch videos of myself when I was seven and see if I was that. That person. This is um, really fascinating. So when you when you guys like you talked about how there's an appeal of Spider-Man to a four-year-old or a forty-year-old, was the plan to always do action figures, or was it sort of you sort of had this idea that look there are certain values that need to be instilled at a young age. We want to focus this on um, on girls on females. Was it, was it going to always be action figures or did you think about some other ideas?
1: No, it, really, it actually was. The, the idea was action figures because okay. we were actually trying to do a couple of different things. So we always, I say we, we, were, we had three goals. And the sure. first goal was actually we wanted to change the conversation about the hypersexualization of the female action figure. Mm-hmm. And so we argued that the female action figures that were on the market were really not being produced for children.
0: Right. They were
1: being produced for the adult male collector. And I said they were more hooters mm-hmm than heroin.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I remember that in the Kickstarter video. Exactly.
1: And so that was one of the goals was to create a figure with a healthier breast to hip ratio Mm -hmm. and put something out into the world that was representative of what a healthy female really looks like because we felt that that was important in terms of the messaging we wanted to send to children. Right. Um, The second thing was this piece of where we say it's character, not characters, where Mm -hmm. we were reinventing the superhero myth. And that was really born out of the idea of rethinking superheroes in a way that seemed like it would appeal to girls and so the idea of the girl as the superhero and as the one saving the day seemed Mm -hmm. very important and felt very important to us right because there were no real representations out in the toy market where you were buying toys for girls, where the girls were the protagonists. Right. And part of what we were saying is that when you... We always say we are not anti-dollar, anti-princess, but if you give a girl a different toy, she will tell a different story. Exactly. And the story implied when you hand a girl a doll... Dressed in a, you know, princess costume versus when you hand a child a a knight is a very different thing. It creates a different sort of play and a different sort of way of thinking. And so that was kind of the second goal. And then the third goal that really evolved in development... Was we really wanted to make a really forward-thinking kick-ass toy because mm-hmm. we said if it's really if it's not fun to play with then no one you know right. will want to buy it and no one right. will want to play with it. Yeah, uh, but it was an action figure from the beginning. Like mm-hmm. I said, we we viewed it as the personification of powers because we wanted to say something in that space about you know changing that conversation.
0: Right, and so did you think of it as um, they. So you you talked about how it's not character or it's it's not the characters it's the actual character. Um, Is it the idea that then the um, the action figure doesn't necessarily have a superpower or the superpower that they have is really the character that's within them? Is that well? This
1: is how we our setup is this we say the child is the superhero. These Mm -hmm. figures are the personification of their powers. However, what we did is we we give each figure its definition mm-hmm. and then a superpower and so we view it as both a learning tool and a jumping off point for play
0: right, right and
1: so um and so that's where the they do have superpowers right but um you know so the kids can think of them in that way yeah right so you know you 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 Are using them. Listen, we talk, the other thing that we talk about, and this is kind of really part of my parenting ethos, kind of on a larger scale, but I've always subscribed to the notion that kids are capable of understanding concepts like these much younger than many adults give them credit for. And so it was really important to us that we not dumb it down. Right. Having said that, you know, we did want to give them a uh, something as a jumping-off point for play, and right,
0: so right, right. I think I, it makes sense that there was sort of something familiar. This idea that there was they they did have a, a superpower, but like you're saying, it was a, it was um, a much there was a bigger piece around it, and that was sort of the differentiator. and um, to to make the kids see that how this how this character was different not just because it was it was female also the character that was involved with it so exactly um, that makes a lot of sense it's really cool the other um, thing that
1: we built in if you, i'm sorry for interrupting no but it was we say real heroes walk among us and so it was also decided very early on that we were going to use real heroes as our muses yeah but, yeah and so, so joan of arc was the yeah main. let's talk through that yes. so
0: so you guys launched uh, on kickstarter like i mentioned on, in 2014 and the first series um you the the first series was was around courage, so like you said, uh, Joan of Arc became sort of the muse for that. And so, how how many characters did you build sort of um, around that idea? And then, what were the um, specific traits or, or um, characters? H- how did you name them? I guess. Is what...
1: Right. So um, before we even started developing the mm-hmm. figures themselves. Um, I outlined the first seven series, and so I took seven what I call core powers. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. All right. Yeah.
1: I took seven core powers, and then I broke them down, and we call them digestible bits. Uh-huh. And so I was, what I spent, I spent many months reading lots of um, history on kind of ancient Greek mythology and yeah. uh, philosophy. I was reading a lot about world religions. I was reading about positive psychology. Wow. And so I I was taking all of these things and what I what we were looking for is we were looking for character traits that really cross all religions all um uh you know kind of cultures right. um and through history and so that was what we were trying to do in right terms this idea of, of bringing... sort of a
0: universal themes that... exactly okay. so
1: every okay. power would be something that would speak to people around the world and to parents around the world and to you know adults around the world yeah and so the first seven series were, were kind of decided on and broken down and from the very beginning. And then Courage was the first one that we launched with um, very deliberately because we wanted to kind of portray women as powerful. And so this idea of bravery and energy mm-hmm. um, and persistence these images were ones of kind of uh, that came from a place of power and so it made sense that that would be our first series Mm -hmm. and then it was like okay so what will who will be our muse who will be the person who's kind of represents what we're trying to say about these powers And so Joan of Arc was chosen um, partly because she was a teenager when she accomplished her goals. And so it resonated, this idea of someone, you know, you didn't have to be an adult to do something that required courage um, resonated. And also it was a really great... um, tool for design so when you look at the figures they don't look like Joan of Arc they're kind of a modern retelling of the idea of a night but that was a jumping off point for our storytelling and so every series will have a different muse Mm -hmm. and the muse comes from some you know some time period and some part of the world that's very different so for instance series two now that which we've just revealed to just jump ahead is wisdom and so our muse for wisdom is Hypatia and it was so much fun because we were able to just totally shift gears and create a whole new look um for series two because of her ancient greek background
0: right right. and
1: series three is justice and we already have a muse picked out for her and that takes us in completely different direction
0: wow this is so exciting um it's really awesome i'm it, it, like, feels, like, very world-building, like, um, as, like, a, I, I love to tell stories, so, like, hearing you sort of, like, talk about how I can, you know, you already have a vision for the for the seven series is, is really awesome, and you're sort of revealing it um, slowly, and um, it's cool. Um, very, very, um, very awesome. So, when you guys, obviously, the Kickstarter, um, you guys raised a lot more than um, than you had planned on and then, if you just sort of go through the process, like you said, this was a development that took um, that took two years. Was it um, Was it something where then you were overwhelmed with with orders, and you suddenly faced the prospect of not being able to to ship all these? How like what was the, you know, we had this fire hose coming in now of, of support. Yeah. How did you guys sort of manage that?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's a great question actually, because that it was, it was fascinating. So one of the, you know, we were in development for a long time. We really, sure. you know, we call, and we had known, we knew from the beginning we were going to do Kickstarter mm-hmm. because um, we considered it testing the hypothesis. That was right. what we kept saying. We're going to test the hypothesis on Kickstarter and, and, you know, use Kickstarter as a way to prove that there is a market for this. We saw a hole in the market. We believed that we could fill it. And so that was the point of Kickstarter. And so, as you said, we had a $35,000 ask right. when, we, when we launched, and it was filled in two days. And <laughs> it was really amazing because... Um, yes, the parents showed up to buy it right. for their children, and yes, the girl power people showed up because, sure. you know because they love the messaging. but the collectors showed up too, and right. that was really a remarkable thing yeah, because yeah. they really were excited by what we right. were doing
0: the industry meaning like they these liked people, the look yeah. of the figures yeah the people the, the, well who,
1: no not the, the yeah the, the collect the, the adult right. male collectors right. who were buying the fi- action figures right exactly, um, exactly you know with the with the giant boobs and the tiny waist <laughs> and right. so um, so that really pushed us forward it, so much faster than we expe- expected and so sure. we did end up with a really nice um, you know, we we sold figures to people in all 50 states and six continents. Yeah, I saw that. It was a lot of fun and it was a great, it was an overwhelmingly positive, fantastic experience because the other thing that people, I think, don't think about with crowdfunding like Kickstarter, which is really Mm -hmm. remarkable, is that it is just a direct pipeline to your customers and they're so enthusiastic and they are so responsive and so we were interacting Daily with people who were sharing their stories, sharing their interests, sharing what appealed to them about the figures. Mm-hmm. So it really added a whole nother level, layer of experience sure. that we wouldn't have had if we had just kind of put it in a store, you know. right. right. Um, and that is part of what i have enjoyed most actually and i'm still lucky enough that we're small enough that um i can respond to everyone personally i respond to every email personally and obviously i will not survive as a business (laughs) if that continues at that pace (laughs) but i'm enjoying that right now now as far as fulfillment goes, that was a whole nother thing for us where mm-hmm. we were determined to fulfill on time because three quarters of all Kickstarters do not fulfill right, on time. Right. And so we felt that making sure that we fulfilled on time was a signal to the universe, to the toy industry, to the people who matter, that we were for real.
0: Right. That Yeah, and, it was critical. So what was your timeline yes. like from when sort of you you had your kickstarter campaign how many months did you have then to to meet fulfillment what was your sort of right so time?
1: we went into so kickstarter started may 13th and we went into production as kickstarter was coming to a close um and we had promised a holiday delivery and we had okay. a one, wonderful factory and everything was chugging along and everything was moving as it was supposed to and then the dock workers in california went on strike
0: oh that's okay what so what this was 20 late 2014. 2014 okay yes
1: i'm sure if you think back you can remember images of right. lots and lots of ships, ships sitting off sitting the on coast a floor. of california yeah as the Christmas holiday came and so what happened is in a moment of you know like real problem solving how do we guarantee this what we ended up having to do was fly the Kickstarter product in at great expense um, to ensure fulfillment because we didn't want to um, miss that window for our backers and so we flew enough product in to guarantee that all of our kickstarters would be fulfilled, mm-hmm. and then we f- we used the slow boat to get the rest of the product in. But you have to remember, we were doing pre-orders. The minute Kickstarter closed, we went into pre-orders. Right, so right. we had a lot of people who had ordered the product who weren't our backers, gotcha. and it was really um, stressful and yeah. it. Different- Time Sounds like a very
0: challenging time for sure. It
1: was. I had to email every single one of those people and tell them that I did not think I was going to be able to deliver to them in time for the holidays. It was right. re- one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because I certainly didn't want to let these people down. Yeah. Um, It was really, however, another kind of lesson in the wonderful superpowers of the people in my universe because everybody was so understanding and really wonderful about it. And I think in the end, we only lost about two dozen orders. Oh, wow. Yeah, even the people who canceled were not unkind about it. They were canceling because they needed to buy a gift for, you know, the holiday. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, They'll be back, right. Yes.
1: So, um... so we did we did deliver Kickstarter on time before Christmas and we had <laughs> whatever extra product we had we you know went from the top of the pre order list sure. and sending it out and then um, un- unfortunately the boat did not come in to dock until about a oh. week or two after after the New Year but right. Um,
0: right. you know
1: that a little it, out of your control happen. for sure exactly these yeah. are the things. That, you know, happen. And I will say, you know, I can't blame everything on the dock workers because, you know, you make rookie mistakes along yeah. the way. You yeah. just try to recover from them as best as you sure. can.
0: Managing the supply chain is, is definitely super challenging. So um, obviously you guys, the there was a strong reaction right out of the gate from from Kickstarter, um, from your backers. Obviously you, you guys got um, great press. And then sort of... Um, the it, it sort of continued with that um strong uh excitement for for the product but what has sort of been your favorite maybe customer story of um seeing these uh characters used as sort of a jumping off point for play or so, sort of a girl telling a, a different story because you, we gave her a different toy.
1: What's uh, gosh, It's funny. There, I get so many. Yeah. At really, so it's really wonderful. But one of my most recent ones that I love so much was um a, a daddy blogger. Uh who did a video with his daughter where she kind of reviewed the figures and discussed them. Right. And one of the the reasons that I love it so much is that it was very fly on the wall. So you had this moment that was really remarkable because she got to fear and she was talking about fear and what fear kind of looked like.
0: Yeah. And the
1: father asked her, you know, kind of what she felt fear meant, you know, as a superpower and as Mm -hmm. something in the Courage series. And they had this discussion about... What it meant, and so we were a, kind of privy to this parenting learning moment—the moment, yeah. toy, where he asked her to think about fear in a different way, and he asked her to think about its usefulness. Um, but I've also had other—I had, I mean, it was—it was one of the more beautiful but also tragic stories. Very early on, I got a lovely, lovely, and poignant email from a mom who said that, you know, when I ordered these figures, I had no idea how important they were going to be to me. Mm -hmm. But in the time between placing the order and having um, received them, she discovered that her daughter had actually been sexually abused. Oh, wow. Yes, her young child. Uh And so... Um, she was using the figures as a tool to prepare her daughter for um, going to court and having to testify. And so that was the first time that we realized that the figures had a greater use beyond right. just as a toy and that they were also, you know, really Being useful. Being used like,
0: to build up the courage and all the ways. Yes, yeah. in
1: play therapy and all wow teachers are using them for for stories from a fun standpoint we got the most hysterical stop motion animation from a girl who is awesome and she used her american girl doll as the villain and the american Girl doll stole she kidnapped honesty and all of the other figures had to save her from the american girl doll oh wow it was set to michael jackson's thriller it was oh
0: wow Absolutely. I think I want to see this video. That's I know. awesome. it
1: was pretty. It was pretty amazing. It was pretty hysterical. We also have a friend in China who does stop motion animation, and he uh-huh. did amazing stop motion animation of the, our six and a half inch Courage figure um, fighting robots and Godzilla, and that wow. was a lot too. Awesome. So.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So um, I know we touched on this a little bit, but um, you guys at, at Toy Fair 2016, you basically uh, came out with your Series Two, um, or really you you announced your your Series Two based on on wisdom and that's available for pre-order right now correct
1: yes yes we're in pre-orders we're in production right now and we're hoping um you know <laughs> unless there's other issues but we're hoping <laughs> an august delivery on that awesome and uh, awesome. We've been, it's been really well received um you know like i said earlier hypatia is our muse we right. call them wisdom warriors awesome um, and um i really i'm you know i'm very proud of them yeah I, I, you know, you had, there's a lot of pressure. You want to feel like you can kind of do it again. And sure. So, um, I was a little bit nervous, but we love them. They, they turned out really beautifully.
0: Yeah, this, this is very, very um, exciting. So when, um, when you sort of look ahead, I know you said you sort of, um, you can see sort of the seven series um, uh, as planned out. Do you guys sort of plan on expanding outside of, um, of action figures? Obviously, you have some things on the website like a workbook, activity book for, um, for kids that, re- that relate to the action figures. Do you see yourself moving into, into different media?
1: Well, you know, listen, that's the big question. That's the Mm -hmm. million-dollar question right now. Again, when we started in development, we outlined everything. We outlined video games. We outlined content. There's a lot that can be done. Um, We deliberately didn't give the figures a backstory because, um, you know, play is at the heart of what we're trying to do. We really wanted kids to be the creators of the story, and so that was huge. And so there's, you know ways to do it and it has to be done carefully but that's the that is the thing that kind of we're parallel processing at this point because sure. The, you know we just have to keep our our plans and goals in terms of the product development because the figures are at the heart of what we're doing yeah but there you're right there are so many other opportunities and um it's just you know i we've been approached a number of times already and you know it's it's in constant discussion yeah. but we don't want to um, dumb it down and sure. so we have to do it very carefully where we translate it i mean you know because of your um, um, the development you've done with your sure. game in terms yeah. of making it accessible to children
0: but also um, of value. Of course, of course no absolutely that makes uh, a lot of sense and obviously like you're saying you want we want to expand but we want to do it in the right way and you want to make sure that um, like you don't uh, hurt what you've done and you don't dumb it down so that that definitely makes a lot of sense. So when we go back to, to Toy Fair there's been a couple articles written that sort of Um, this was the year of the girl at Toy Fair and you sort of saw a more, um, I guess a lot of toy makers focusing on diversity, bringing out, um, characters that you don't normally see. Did you, did you notice that as a, as a larger trend? Um, at Toy Fair? (laughs) You probably were sort of running around with your head like a chicken with your head cut off, but did you...
1: Well, listen, I've noticed it in general. I mean, obviously, as we were in development and launching the Kickstarter...
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it became there was like a cultural zeitgeist. You know, sure. we, we people really responded to what we were doing, but we also hit a moment in time where it, the conversation. We you know we were trying to change the conversation, yeah. and we came into it as, as kind of the conversation. The, yes, right. as the so we were kind of at the forefront of this sure. changing conversation about. Um, gender and toys, about diversity, and so we're thrilled. I mean obviously it's really exciting to see sure. these women and uh, people in positions of power who are running these big companies who yeah. are responding to the you know what's the happening need. exactly right. they're they're, right. Hear- they're hearing the noise they're hearing what the customer wants and they're giving it to them right and so I do think it's wonderful because they're pushing that needle further faster. Sure. Than I imagined, you know, would happen um, right. when we launched, ha- and so I think it's terrific.
0: And have you been able to to uh, to connect with some of these these younger companies and and swap some more stories and yeah, I some mean, ab-
1: ab- absolutely, we. Uh, uh, I'm very big believer in paying it forward and a lot of people you know, the ruminate girls are the reason that we have the wonderful factory that we have. Mm -hmm. And so I always take a call if I someone is you know reaching out to me for help. And so obviously most of what I get are people in that sphere. And so I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And you know, the other thing too that I, you know, found we were just at a conference at the White House on gender and media and toys and Really remarkable from both the perspective of someone who is a bootstrapping entrepreneur in the space who's trying to change the conversation about gender and toys, but also as the mom of two boys because Mm -hmm. i loved you know we say we're um girl targeted boy inclusive yeah and it was really 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 important that the figures um be considered cool and interesting enough that boys would want to play with them too because i am raising two boys
0: right exactly
1: i really like the fact that What kind of started as a conversation a few years ago when we were launching about the way that girls play has now evolved into a conversation about the way that kids play. Right. And I find that really gratifying. And I think it's wonderful, I think it's terrific. And I also Absolutely. think it's bizarre, too, because, you know, you said, oh, I should go back and think about what I was like at seven and think about, you know, whether or not I am the same. I, right. think, you, I think you will find many things are the same. <laughs> yeah. But I also, for me, when I think back to my childhood, mm-hmm. I grew up in an era that really was all about kind of girl power and gender equality and mm-hmm. It felt, you know, I, I say it's it's interesting to me because it doesn't just kind of go up. It goes yeah. in waves, right? And so, yeah,
0: so this feels like an echo to you, is that? Yes, that be, okay. very
1: much so. I feel okay. like we're kind of having a conversation that I was already having, you know, or right. I was processing as a child myself, and I think it's great because I do worry about what's out there in the universe, you know, with yeah. um, the way that social media portrays Um, you know, men, women, girls, boys, the way that Photoshop has affected the way we perceive people and Mm -hmm. things like that. And so I think it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think you're wonderful. I I think this, um, what you've done and what you've uh, accomplished so far, I hope um, you give yourself a pat on the back. And like you're saying, I'm sure it's gratifying to... To not just have the conversation focused on on girls, we're talking about boys too, and boys should be playing with uh, with these toys. I plan on on getting some for my uh, for my little guy when he when he gets a little bit older. So, um, for sure. So, um, Julie, thanks so much for for being on. We'll um, we'll definitely. I want to make sure we ha- we have you on again in in August when these um, when these ship, and obviously when uh, when series three comes along as well so thank oh, you so love much
1: to. no thank you so much it's so kind of you to have me on i really appreciate an opportunity to talk with you i think what you're doing is terrific
0: thanks thanks
1: you know sometimes you can end up in a in a bubble and it was interesting because we One of the things, when I said to you earlier that everything had been kind of decided, you know, so much of it a week, in the first week, one of the things that we decided from day one was that they would have brightly colored skin because we didn't want to, um, we didn't want to associate any one power with one ethnicity.
0: Right. Ah
1: and so that was a huge factor but of course we use this muse and so you know there it's an interesting balance when you're talking about diversity and it's funny because sometimes there's only so much you can do and so on we're we're trying to push it push it forward and yet i still get criticism sometimes you know and so it is a really interesting balance and so i that's another reason that i love what you're doing and i love this fact that we're all talking, having these conversations so openly, Agreed. Agreed. because, you know, it's an important conversation, Absolutely. don't I think, you think? Yeah,
0: I think it's a hun- that's 100% correct. It's sort of like, like you're saying, like, listen, we didn't want it to be associated with a certain ethnicity, and then, you know, someone else is doing something different, and they're sort of like focusing on an ethnicity, and that's fine. That's like how they're telling their story, and I think, um, you know, we're working, Diversity and Apps is working on sort of a set of guidelines that um, when you're making a kid's media product, sort of here is some things to think about to make okay. sure that it is diverse and inclusive. But like it's not, and one thing we've stressed over and over again is as we come up with these questions to ask yourself, it not every answer to this question is going to be yes and not every answer is you know that doesn't mean that you're not making a diverse and inclusive product it, it right. means that you're thinking through it and chances are if you follow these guidelines you are going to come out with something that is diverse and inclusive but that doesn't mean every single box is going to be checked it's just you know that it happens but like i still think the the mere fact that the people behind the product have thought through it and that they are focused on that as a value it's natural that the product then will will reflect that so um i think it's just that, that what you're saying makes a ton of sense and i think everybody the more people that are they're talking about it focus on it and and doing what they think is is the right piece we're going to get there it's it's exactly um, it's a matter of time, exactly but so. I, but
1: i think you're you're saying exactly i mean i love the way you said that because it's so true that you know it's you can't be all things,
0: right? But right. you
1: can, che- you know, as long as you're being very conscious of which boxes you're checking and which not,
0: which right. you're
1: not, you know, and kind of taking ownership of it exactly. and acknowledging it. I think exactly. that it, you know, it's, right. it's, it's it's it takes a village, right? We're all going right. to move exactly. it forward.
0: Right, and when I was talking to the, uh, the Tiny Bob CEO a couple of weeks ago, he was very open. He's like, look, we haven't always done exactly what we needed to do or, or done it the right way, but we're we're very clear on wanting to get better, and like that's what, and, you know, there's an openness to about, to the fact that, look, this is what we're focused on. Do we always hit the bullseye? No, but like we're, that doesn't mean we're not going to keep striving for it, so. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll, yeah. To
1: be, I'll tell you, week one. one. I got an email, being call- I was called a shadist and they accused sh- me yes they called me a shadist and they accused me and but it was interesting i mean i had to, i actually had to you know really think about what they were saying because we made fear the darkest figure it was our dark matter it was our it was our power that needed kind of conscious thought behind it and yeah. it was mysterious and it was dark and so there was a design behind element behind it but we, we were Reminded of kind of the messaging that we were, um, inadvertently sending by making the more difficult power uh, right. the darkest power and you know one of the things that we've always said is listen fear is not the villain we don't have a villain fear yeah. is actually what I fear is one of, one of my favorite figures and I think yeah. fear is a really important thing I always say fear we're born with the right. natural biological capacity for fear because it protects us right. but it doesn't right. matter what how I intellectualize it when people <laughs> yeah. look at them they see fear is the darker power. And right. so I really did I would I I I'm mindful. It's like to your point, you do have to think about those boxes and how you're checking them off. Yeah. And so yeah. we had this design element that inadvertently offended some people.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I took it very seriously and I yeah. you know, See
0: that idiot. see that's perfect. Like rather than you sort of getting offended or or getting defensive, you sort of like thought it through. Like listen, what is it like you had a, a, basically a step of empathy, right? You were like trying to see it from their perspective. And like, that's the whole thing. That's the conversation that needs to happen. And like, I, I think like you're saying, it's, it started, you sort of, you guys caught the wave of this. And like, I think it just, we just need to keep pushing it further. And as long as we're focused on, on continuing to do better and realizing how someone's going to react to that, I think we'll, we'll be well on our way.